Matthew chapter 7. Verse 6, for the reading of God's holy word. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, and I just pray that you will just uh, fill us with your spirit this morning, that we may see, the, as David says, Lord, in, in, in Psalm uh, in Psalm 29, that, that we would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, Lord. And Father, I just pray that we would uh, lay our distractions aside and that your word, God, would just fill our hearts, that our hearts would absorb it, that we would be doers of your word, that we would, uh, that you would just take away the blindness, our deafness, Lord, that our eyes would see, that our ears would hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please greet one another. Okay, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're in verse 7 this morning, and as we began last week, I just want us to remember together who Jesus is talking to here. You find the answer, as we did last week, at the end of chapter 4. It says in chapter 4, verse 25, that great multitudes followed him. He was speaking to a multitude. Who was this uh, multitude? It says there in uh, chapter 4, verse 24, it says they were the sick, the afflicted, afflicted with various diseases and torments, demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics. Jesus, on more than one occasion, said that his ministry was to the lost sheep of Israel, to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus is speaking here, quite literally, to the lost sheep of Israel. Why were they lost? Because they had become cogs in the wheels of a rigid, cruel, religious system, a religious system that had been become disconnected uh, to its head, you know, the God of the Old Testament, is referred to as Je- Jehovah Roi, which means the Lord my shepherd, or one could say the Lord my shelter. But the scribes and Pharisees, who were the leaders of this religious system, 
had shut the door to the shelter and left the people outside carrying an unbelievably heavy burden, an unbelievably heavy load on their own. The load of sin, the load of the law, the load of a works-based religion. They carried it on their own. You know, I, I grew up in a church that I, I was in church most Sundays growing up, and I never heard that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. And as a result, when I left, when I was 16 or 17, I was just out carrying the load on my own. And, and, and crushed under the burden um, of it. And, and Jesus declares in Matthew 23 uh, to the Pharisees and scribes and other religious leaders, he says this, You tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but you yourselves are not willing to lift a finger to help them. The Apostle Peter later confronted a similar group in Acts 15. He said, Why do you test God? putting a burden on the neck of the people which neither us nor our fathers could ever bear. So the people that Jesus are speaking to uh, in Matthew 5 through 7 were a lost, a broken, a mourning people. What joy to their ears when they heard Jesus' words in Matthew 5, verse 3 and 4, Blessed are you, the poor in spirit, the broken, the lowly. Blessed are those who mourn. The tragedy, and it's a tragedy that continues to this day, is that in, in many, uh, many of the lost sheep, many lost sheep, and I could have included myself among those, believe that the religious system represented God. Why? Well, it was all, it was all they knew. The Pharisees and scribes called themselves holy. They sure acted holy. They, uh, they must be holy. I mean, they must represent God. But then came Jesus' words in Matthew 5.20, where he says, I say to you, and he's talking to the multitude here, the law sheep, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of these religious leaders who have been shutting you out, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. From beginning to the end, the Sermon on the Mount is about two things. One, Jesus warning people of the Pharisees and exposing their false righteousness, while at the same time uh, teaching the sheep about the righteousness of life in Christ. To understand, to interpret this sermon, you must always keep those two things in mind. With that, we come to the verse we have for this morning. First verse. Um, actually, let's let's go back to, to verse 6, which precedes verse 7. And it says, Do not cast what is holy to the dogs. Do not cast what is holy to the dogs nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Now, this verse is often quoted to mean that you shouldn't share your faith 
with someone who has a hard heart or someone who's just going to mock you for it or someone who in their heart they're 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 a mocker of the things of god well i don't agree with that and i don't agree for several reasons first if that was the case then the apostle paul repeatedly throughout his whole life disobeyed that command I mean, the Apostle Paul, over and over again throughout his entire career, sh shared his faith with people uh, who had very, very hard hearts, and they beat him, they imprisoned him, and on one occasion, they killed him. He was brought back from the dead, but they killed him. The same can be said of many Old Testament prophets. Elijah, Jeremiah, Amos, Hosea, to, to name a few. And I believe this verse is so often used in a way that it was never intended to be used. You know, someone comes across our path and the Holy Spirit is prompting us to just share our life with them, share our faith. But then we begin to worry and the worry turns into panic. And, and then we say to ourselves, well, you know, the Bible does say don't cast your pearl before swine. I, I guess I shouldn't uh, talk to this person. We go away. Yeah, phew, I missed that one. You know, <laughs> I got out of that one. But when we do that, we are quite literally doing what the first five verses of chapter 7 tells us not to do. Judge not. Judge not. We, we have taken over the judgment seat from God and given someone who we don't even know. We don't know their heart. We can't know their motives. We've given them over to condemnation. So one reason I do, do not believe that this verse is a warning against witnessing to certain people is because uh, that, you know, the prophets and the apostles from the beginning to the end of the Bible must have disobeyed this command. And, you know, that's not what apostles and prophets do. Uh, they certainly were not perfect people, but they did follow the, the, the commands of God. But the main reason I don't believe that the interpretation of verse 6 uh, uh, is about sort of not witnessing uh, to, to certain people is that, the, the, is that it has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about in the rest of the sermon. Remember, the sermon is about two things. One, it is a warning to the lost sheep of Israel about the Pharisees. Two, it is a teaching on Christ-like righteousness. And, and so what is Jesus saying, uh, what is he saying in, in verse 6? It's entirely consistent with those two things. He's saying, do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not cast your pearls before swine. In other words, beware of the Pharisees. Do not entrust your souls to them. Beware of them. They will tramp you underfoot. They will turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says this, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, he says this, The Pharisees and the scribes, they sit in the seat of Moses, therefore you must obey them. However, do not do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. And then with, in one of the most terrifying indictments in all the Bible, with all the authority in heaven and earth, he turns to the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and he says, you travel land and sea to win a single convert. And when you succeed, you make him twice as much a son as hell as you are. Wow. When Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 6, do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, he is warning 
the lost sheep of Israel. Don't join your lives to these men who will only crush you with the burden of man-made law. Or worse, you'll become like one of them. Listen carefully. The word pearl in the, in the New Testament, that word pearl, it represents a saved life or that which saves your life, eternal life. A life that has been washed and made holy by the righteousness of Christ. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable, the pearl of great uh, uh, price. He says, again, I tell you, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says your life is hidden in Christ. It's, it's as a rare jewel, a pearl, a pearl of great price. And you are so precious to God. Jesus gave all he had for you. The Bible says he gave his life as a ransom for you. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says he was crushed for your sins. He was crushed for your sins. He was beaten, spat upon, mocked, crucified for you. You're so precious to him. And Jesus is saying, do not join your life to someone who will turn and trample you underfoot. Now, Jesus is referring here supremely to the religious leaders. But certainly there is no, uh, and certainly, you know, there, there's no shortage of, of those kind of religious leaders today. But brothers and sisters, believe me, your life can be trampled underfoot by many things or many people other than religious leaders. You can cast your pearls before any number of swine. In Second Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Do not become unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Do not bind yourself with someone who does not follow Christ. There's nothing more tragic to witness, and unfortunately, I've witnessed it many times, than a Christian to, to witness a Christian woman binding herself to an unbelieving man, or a Christian man binding himself uh, to an unbelieving woman. Their life is often trampled, trampled by someone who doesn't know God or follow God. You are so precious to God. Exodus 20, verse 5 says, I, the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. He has a holy jealousy for you. He doesn't want you to bind yourself to another. Whether, you, whether that is a controlling religious leader, whether that's a husband or a wife, uh, Christian or non-Christian, a, a friend, an employer, whoever, uh, who is more interested in what they can get from you than loving you for who you are, which only God can do, loving you for who you are. You know, over the years, I've seen so many people marry themselves to their job or school or relationship. And by doing so, they, they were casting their pearls, their life, their, their life, you know, life is sacred. They were casting what was sacred before swine. They give up their leisure time. They give up their loved ones. They, they, uh, they give up their health only in the end to be trampled underfoot. And, and they're left devastated. You know, when I lived in uh, Miami, 
I was a manager of a group of five or six people and uh, one summer we had a real important project coming up with a hard and fast deadline and for about two months we were working overtime uh, without any extra pay, uh, wasn't a union job uh, and often I would get home at what eight or nine at night uh, for, for quite a long season and uh, as the deadline approached, uh, within a few days of the deadline, the overtime turned to all your time. And it was there to one or two in the morning. And the last night, I, I didn't get any sleep. And I had to appear somewhere in the morning and uh, be presentable. But anyway, the project, I did this with a, a couple of my folks, and the project got completed. It was uh, a very successful outcome. But you know what happened? And, and this, brothers and sisters, this is going to happen for the rest of your life, this type of thing. We didn't get so much as a thank you from the senior management in the office. At least not that I remember. I mean, maybe I was so tired I didn't hear it. But uh, uh, not so much as, as a thank you. And you know, for me, it stung a little while. It really did. But I was able to get over it because I was walking with Jesus. I, I knew who I was working for. Colossians chapter 4, Ephesians 6, 1 Peter 2, make it abundantly clear when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're in the home, you're working for the Lord if your heart is right with Him. But there was a woman who worked for me who did not know the Lord and she was just devastated. She was trampled. Trampled. She never recovered. That I know. From that point on, she was angry and bitter and cynical. And you know, what happened is the world so often does, and, and, and tragically, I see Christians do this. She cast her pearl before swine. She had married herself to someone or something uh, that really had very little interest in her. And you know, I'm not saying this at all to criticize my old employer. They were just running a business like the way the world runs a business. What I am saying is this. Don't give what is holy and sacred to dogs. That's a strong statement. Fortunately, I can say they're Jesus' words, not mine. Don't give what is so precious in the sight of God to anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, who sold everything for you. The Bible says, and you know, this may make us a little, uh, you know, uh, this may make us a little, feel a little uncomfortable, but the Bible says that you are Christ's virgin bride. And he doesn't want you to be joined to another. So anyway, let's go on in verse 7. It says, then Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open. You know, Jesus says in uh, John 14, he says, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. And it's not one of those promises you will find in those Bible promises books you find in the Christian bookstore. Yeah, I'm thinking about writing a Bible promise book. The other promises, you know, uh, in this world you will have trouble. You know, everyone who tries to live a, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
you know, it is through many trials and tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. Uh, kingdom of God. You know, it'll be a, a national non-seller. You know, we'll all become, uh, uh, we'll all become uh, in, infamous, if you will. But seriously, God never promises to spare you from trials, from from sorrow, from from pain, thorns, tears, tragedy. He never promises that. Not in this life. But Jesus puts all that trouble, all that sorrow, all that pain, all that tragedy in perspective in these two verses. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And again, with all the authority of heaven and earth, he says in verse 8, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. This is an absolute and extraordinary promise that every person in this room needs to lay hold of. In the midst of the trouble, the thorns, the tears, the pain, the tragedy, the sorrow, Jesus is there. God is there. He is there to bring you through and to deliver you. In Psalm 34, verse 6, David says this. He says, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And then verse 19, he goes on, he says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Yes, Jesus says in John, uh, actually it's John 16, I think I said John 14 before, but John 16, yes, he says in this, you, in this world, you will have trouble. And yes, that is a promise. But there's another promise. Now, he continues in that same verse and he says, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. I got news for you. We don't have to go through life about to pop from anxiety. We don't have to. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. You know, the, the promise actually brings together a lot of what Jesus has said immediately before it. What does Jesus say in chapter 6, verse 25? Do not worry about your life. What does he say in uh, chapter 7, verse 1? Judge not, criticize not. And some of you are thinking, what do you mean? Don't worry, don't criticize? Well, what else are you supposed to do? I mean, you know, that's what I do all day. But uh, Jesus says, this says, this is what you do. Jesus says, this is what you do. You lay that worry and criticism aside and you pray. Now, listen carefully. If you obey this command, it's in the imperative, meaning it's a command, rest assured with such a powerful promise, with such a powerful outcome, there will be tremendous warfare to prevent you from realizing that promise, from doing what's necessary to realize that promise. You will have tremendous attacks on your prayer life to, to prevent it from ever even happening. Have you ever resolved to pray, get real serious about prayer, only to flop? You commit in your heart to pray, well, I'm going to just pray each, each day in the morning, you know, in my prayer closet, or I'm going to meet with a, a certain person once a week, or I'm going to meet uh, with with the women on Friday night. Yes, that's a yes, that's a plug for the women on Friday night who are praying. And, and as, as you know, the first 
you know, what usually happens the first time uh, you, you pray, you, you feel so invigorated. You're like, great. And the second time you feel, uh, feel pretty good. But then, you know, right before you pray the third time, your car breaks down. And you've got to fix it. You can't go to prayer. And right before the first time, your dream date who you prayed about during the first two sessions that would, they would call you, calls you and said, hey, can you go out tonight? Oh, oh yeah. I guess that means I can't pray, but, uh, you know, I got to answer, you know, fulfilled answer prayer. The fifth time, your toilet floods, no prayer. The sixth time, you're, you get tickets to the Red Sox game. The seventh time, your dog dies. The eighth time, your, uh, your, your cat dies. The ninth time, your apart, whole apartment floods. The tenth time, there's an earthquake, you know, and by the eleventh week, you're thinking, I haven't prayed for 10 weeks, you know, and, 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 and you realize all of a sudden, boy, what I've just flopped. Well, the Apostle Paul explains why in Ephesians 6, verse 12. He says, your battle, my battle, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, who do not want you to pray and realize this very thing we're reading about in Matthew chapter 7. And it, but, but Paul actually in that same Ephesians chapter 6, he gives us a response towards that. He says, pray always with all prayers and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. He just sort of repeats himself. He says, persevere, and by the way also, persevere is what he says. And in Matthew 7, verse 7, when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, seek uh, and you will find, and, and, and knock and the door will be opened to you, the theme, brothers and sisters, is this, perseverance. In other words, keep at it no matter what. You know, in the original Greek, for all you English grammar people, I'm not one of them, but it's the verbs there in verse 7 are, are in the present imperative. Uh, meaning, literally, and you'll find this translation in the, in the Amplified Bible, it reads, keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find, keep on knocking and the door will be opened. There's a parallel passage in Luke where uh, you have this same uh, verse, ask, seek, knock. By the way, ask, seek, knock. How do you remember that? A-S-K, ask. Ask, seek, knock. It's an easy, easy, nifty little way to, to uh, memorize that. But just before the parallel passage in Luke, Jesus tells the parable of the persistent friend where Jesus uh, says, if you remember, you know, if a friend came to you at midnight and starts banging on your door asking for th uh, three loaves of, of bread, in your heart, you're going to be thinking, why is this guy troubling me? You know, my children are, uh, are in bed with me. I, I can't come to him right now. The door is shut. Uh, yet, Jesus says, because of his persistence, you will rise and give him as much as he needs. And then he goes right on and, and quotes these and gives these same verses that we are reading here in verse 7 in Matthew. Keep asking and you will be given. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened. In this world, you will have trouble. You will. It's in the other Promises book. It'll be back in the back table within three months. And Satan wants to isolate you in it, in your loneliness, in your sorrow, 
in your tragedy, in your, in your, in your illness. He, he wants to isolate you and have you living in that trouble without God. But Jesus says the righteous response, the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is to keep on going on in your prayer life to bring God into the trouble. It's God's problem. There's nothing wrong with just telling God, God, this is your problem, not mine. He's not insulted. He told you to tell him that. He told you to pray that. Let me share this with you. The verse that I uh, apply to my life when it comes to this area of just keeping on in prayer is 1 Corinthians 9.27. It says, I, Paul says, the Apostle Paul, he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. The NIV says, I beat my body and make it my slave. I prefer that one. I beat my body and make it my slave. About seven or eight months ago, Steph and I began setting 30 or 45 minutes uh, a night for prayer. I've, I've shared this with you. And, and i got to tell you, you know, the warfare, after a day of work, putting five kids and a gigantic dog to bed, okay? We are really tired. But when you add prayer into the mix, I mean, then you have to deal with all this warfare. And I mean, it's like someone has put shot puts, you know, on, on your eyes, you know, when you try to pray. You know, have you ever been praying uh, with someone and, and you fall asleep <laughs> while they're praying? Well, there's only one thing worse than that. It's when you're praying with someone and you fall asleep when you are praying. Okay? And, and, and you know, sometimes I'll be so tired. I will fall asleep when I'm praying. You know, it's like, oh, God, you know, I pray for Amy and Scott. And, and then all of a sudden, I, and, then, and then I'll realize, I'll realize you fell asleep. And, and, and I'll be thinking, I, I wonder if Stephanie knows. And I'll peek up at her and she's there. You know, she's probably thinking, oh, I guess he's just waiting, you know, what, what to pray for, for Amy and, and Scott. And, and then I say, you know, phew, and I, I pray for Scott and Amy for their battles with John, you know, whatever. I finish it out. And, 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 and by God's grace, though, you know, we, we persevere through it. But I got to tell you, you know, Paul's verse where he says, I beat my body and make it my slave. I've always thought that was just a little strange, that verse. But not until I, I, you know, I really got into the guts of my Christian walk and realized, man, it really is true. And particularly in this area uh, of prayer, you got to beat your body uh, that is falling asleep. I tell you, the patience and long suffering of God, you know, the things He puts up with falling asleep when you're talking to him and you know can you imagine being out on a date with your wife and you know, i really really do love you honey you know, down in the soup goes your face but you, know, you really do love me don't you but anyway ephesians 6 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against rulers of this dark age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places and 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 the next thing i just really want to emphasize here is 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 Part of that battle is this. Satan will try to get you to doubt the goodness of God. The goodness of God. And that's where Jesus, that's what he's referring to, and that's what he's getting to in the next uh, few verses. Verse 9 of chapter 7. Uh, please read with me. It says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, and then he goes on, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He's, he's, really, uh, he's really getting to the principle here that, and applies so much to prayer uh, that, that God is good. God is good. You know, that, that, that sounds so simplistic, but it's just a profoundly important theological point that you need to brand into your heart. God is good. And he wants your best for you. Jesus promised that in the world we would have trouble, and so the trouble comes. You know, a relationship uh, goes sour. A job uh, goes sour. Someone, you know, find themselves single at an age they never dreamed they'd be single. Depression sets in. Finances, uh, 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 you know, cave in. And and what, what is the spiritual warfare about? The enemy wants to attack in your mind your concept of the goodness of God. God's going to leave you in this one forever. You're going to be single forever. You're going to be tormented in this relationship forever. You're going to be unemployed forever. And so instead of persevering with God, instead of continuing in prayer, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, they lose faith or you lose faith in the goodness of God and you go and solve your problem in the world's way apart from God. You know, in Psalm 27, 13, David says this, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Brothers and sisters, in every trouble, every tragedy, every sorrow, never forget this, God is good. He only wants the very best for you. You will lose heart unless you believe in the goodness of God in your life. And that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 9 and 10. You know, look, if your son asks you for bread, uh, would you give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, would you give him a serpent? Of course not. And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, can you imagine what God, who is good through and through, he's perfectly holy, will give you? Keep on asking. Keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Now, you know, you may ask, well, why the delay? <laughs> you know, wh why the delay? Why do I have to keep on asking and seeking and knocking? And, and, and for those of you who know prayer, sometimes we're talking years. The reason is this. As you keep asking and seeking and knocking, you get to know your Heavenly Father more and more and more and more in a way that you, you would never know Him otherwise. And, and many times along the way, you realize that what you're asking for is not good. It's not a good thing. If I received instantly everything I've ever prayed to God for, you know, I would have been married three times before I met my wife. You know, that would not have been a good thing. Why the delay? 
you know, I know people who grew up getting instantly everything they wanted from their parents. And today they have the most shallow relationship with their parents. They always did. I know at least one of them who hates his parents. He never got from his parents the one thing uh, that he desperately wanted, love. And, and you know, of course, you're, you'll always get that from God in the asking process, in the seeking process. You'll always uh, get that from God. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Next week, uh, we'll actually continue in verse 12. Whatever you, uh, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. But until then, let's pray. Father, I just I thank you for this, the word, Lord God, that it always does, Lord. It pushes us on. It just moves us along, Lord God, when we become stagnant, Lord God. It, it just the word of God. It's living and active. And God, we, we do want it to have to do a great work in our life. Father, I just pray for everyone here, Lord. That by faith you would strengthen us, that we wouldn't that we wouldn't be isolated in our pain, in the discouragement, Lord, in the sorrow, Lord. That we would bring you into the trouble that we'd hand off our, our, our problems, our load, our burden on you, Lord. Father, make us intercessors. Make us prayer warriors, Lord God. Make us just seek and knock and ask, Lord God, until, God, the heavens... The heavens shake and, and, and open up, God, in, in our lives, but more importantly, the lives of those around us, Lord. I, I just thank you, Lord God, that we can do that with confidence. God, draw us into your throne. Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless. If anyone needs prayer, please come up and... Again, everyone is welcome to join us tonight for a potluck dinner. God bless.